Thank you, and it is so wonderful to be with all of you this morning. And I enjoyed that music, too. That was so good. And um, sorry about the song, that I didn't bring a song, but normally I travel with Tim, and he speaks, and then I sing. But I couldn't get him to sing for me this morning, so... <laughs> I talked, him in, I talked him into singing with me many years ago in the Philippines, and uh, we were having some kind of Christmas concert, and I begged him. He said no, because he doesn't think he sings. He can sing, but he doesn't like to sing in public. And I begged and pleaded. I said, honey, I need a third part on this song, and, and all I need you to do is take the key change. <laughs> and uh, he assured me beforehand that I must be very persuasive, because he agreed to do it. And he assured me beforehand, honey, I promise you, I will not get that key change. And uh, he delivered on that promise, 100%. But um, we have laughed. Tim and my daughter Valerie and I sang before probably 600 people that night. And it was epic. And we have gotten lots of enjoyment out of that memory. But I couldn't talk him into singing this morning. So anyway, but it is a wonderful privilege to be here. And um, so thankful for God's grace and his presence and... Um, I know that he is so present in your lives as well. I sensed his spirit in this service this morning as you were worshiping, and it is a great privilege to be here. Um, as my husband mentioned that I come from a large family, and I do come from a large family. I am the sixth of nine children, and uh, my dad was a pastor, and um, my parents had five children. They had their fifth child just before or just after their sixth wedding anniversary, a couple weeks after their sixth wedding anniversary. My sister Kimberly was born, whom you know, and she was their fifth child. And so at that point, my dad said, okay, I think we figured out what's causing these babies to come every year, so we need to fix this problem. So they decided that they wouldn't have any more children. They had a friendly chat with the doctor before my mom went in to have Kimberly, and they scheduled, they had the surgery and all of those things, and and the doctor told my mom to go home and enjoy life and not to worry about having any more children. And if she did, he would deliver them for free. And he has since gone out of business because mom had four more babies. And um, yeah, so I, I was the child that was never supposed to be, along with my three younger siblings. But God does all things well, doesn't he? So, um, and I don't think they regret it. I don't think they do anyway. But big families are a blessing. So, um, but what I want to share with you this morning is um, I just want to uh, talk to you through the telling of a story, as my husband mentioned, and I want to share, uh, it's very simple, I want to share four reasons why I know that you can trust God in the tough times of life. And what I want to share with you this morning is a story that began on October 20th of 1997. Why, uh, my husband, Tim, and I, we found ourselves sitting in a, in a doctor's office in Grand Rapids, Michigan, with our five-week-old son, Jesse. I remember sitting there. Um, this, this day had begun. We took Jesse in for a well-baby checkup because he was born in the Philippines where we were serving as missionaries, and we had to return to the States when he was two weeks old because my husband had been subpoenaed to testify in a criminal trial. Isn't that crazy? A random crime that he witnessed while he was going down the street. It was a very serious crime. And so they had called him home to testify. This is why we were back in the United States. And I, so I scheduled him a well baby checkup. Well, they saw an abnormality in his eye. And by the end of the day, we found ourselves sitting in this Grand Rapids eye doctor's office and sat there in disbelief as he said to us, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Keep, what I'm getting ready to tell you is the worst news you will ever hear about your child. 
I remember just being stunned into silence as he went on to explain that he was 99% sure that Jesse had a very large malignant tumor in his left eye. He went on to say that they, it was something they called retinoblastoma. It was a very rare cancer that affects babies and children under the age of five. And he said that um, the cancer might already be in his brain, that there was no way we were going back to the Philippines. We had our tickets in hand to travel back in 11 days. You talk about turning our world upside down on that afternoon. Uh, this wasn't on our schedule of things we were going to be hearing that day. Are these things ever on our schedules? I mean, we were missionaries. We were serving God in the Philippines, leading other people to him. I mean, a year earlier, I had sold everything I owned down to my last fork and bath towel to move 10,000 miles away from my mom and Walmart to serve God as a missionary. And here we were. Surely this could not be happening. This began a journey for our family, a four-year journey that we never could have imagined. But I'm telling you this morning, through pain and bewilderment, and I'm going to be honest, lots and lots of questions and tears, we learned that, yes, this God we served, he could indeed be trusted. We learned as he walked with us through some of the most terrifying days, and we were given glimpses of his greatness that we never could have experienced without this trial that he had entrusted us with. We learned that we could praise God even more because he truly was and is worthy of our praise. We learned that he is good and wise and sovereign and that he is always on our side. So this morning, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share a God story with you. And don't we all need God stories in our lives? Those times when God shows up undeniably in our lives to carry us through the tough things that we face. Because I know that although you guys are smiling this morning and you have worshipped so beautifully, I know that some of you here have faced in recent times, or maybe right now you're facing something that is unspeakably painful in your life. Perhaps you've been thrown a curveball in recent days that you never dreamed would happen to you. What I want you to know this morning is that I've already prayed for you, and I have prayed that somehow today your eyes would be lifted from that temporary trial. And if you're a believer in Jesus, the good news is it's temporary, right? To the truth about the one who is bigger than anything Satan can throw in your path this morning. So the first reason I want to share with you that I know you can trust God is that he is good. God is good. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home, like I mentioned, memorizing many verses of Scripture that talked about God's goodness. And I believed, I believed that God was good growing up. But you know, up until this point in my life, I had often equated God's goodness with a lack of personal pain. Don't we do that sometimes? We say, oh, God was good and he protected us, and God was good and he did this. And it is true. He does protect us and, and provide for us, and he, and he is good. But up until this time, neither my husband nor I had really known much pain. We had had loving families and good homes that we grew up in. But with those words, your son has cancer, suddenly, wow, life didn't look so rosy anymore. Our lives were completely thrown up into the air. We had no home. Everything we owned was 10,000 miles away in a mission house in the, Phil in the Philippines. We had no ministry because we weren't returning. We had no jobs. What would we do? But most importantly, what was going to happen to our beautiful little boy? Jesse began treatment one week later uh, at Detroit Children's Hospital. And it was kind of uh, a surreal feeling to watch them hook him up, this tiny little baby, to powerful chemotherapy drugs and start the treatment to try to destroy these tumors. 
We fought and fought for those first two years. Jesse had surgeries about every two weeks. They would try to use all of the different treatments to destroy the tumors, including the chemotherapy and the radiation and all kinds of things. But it was just after his second birthday that the doctor told us the left eye could no longer be saved. The cancer was threatening the optic nerve, which would, cancer the rest of, which would threaten the rest of his body. And so we agreed to allow them to remove the left eye. We thought that perhaps with this surgery, our lives would return to normal, and this little guy could know a life outside of operating rooms and hospitals and doctor's offices, and we could get back to life as we knew it. I'll never forget uh, allowing them to do the surgery and them sending us home later. And the doctor told me when we left, he said, now, Mrs. Keep, do not uh, remove that bandage over the weekend. It's very traumatic, and so I want to be with you when we take it off for the first time. And which was fine with me. I am a nurse by trade, but when it comes to my children, I'm not a very good nurse. So I was happy to just leave it alone for the weekend. But when we went back to his office on Monday morning, I thought I was prepared, but nothing really could have prepared me for what I saw when the doctor peeled that bandage off of my little boy's eye and where there had been a beautiful hazel brown eye. There was nothing but an ugly, empty, vacant hole. I held myself together until we got in the car, and on the way home that, uh, that afternoon, uh, I, I wept, and I, I told my husband, what is God doing? How could he have allowed this to happen? I mean, they have taken our beautiful child, and they have mutilated him. How can this be coming from a good God? I don't understand. And we were both feeling pretty morose on that afternoon. I remember getting home and going into the house, and it wasn't very long until I heard screaming and laughing coming from the other end of the house. We went to investigate, and we noticed that Jesse, he was now very well aware of his status as the one-eyed kid in the family, was chasing his older two siblings around, declaring himself to be a monster, and they were all having the time of their lives. And so I remember on that afternoon, my husband and I, we stood in the kitchen and we laughed. And we laughed and we laughed. And you know what? It sounds strange. But that laughter on that awful day was a really good gift from a really good God. Cancer had invaded Jesse's right eye by this time as well. But it was very minimal. And the doctors assured us that they were certain they could save his right eye and some sight. So we continued two more years of very intense treatment to try to save Jesse's sight. It, no matter what we did, however it seemed that the cancer would always come back with a vengeance. And so it was early in the summer of 2001, after an examination under anesthesia, the doctor came through those double doors, and I remember him saying something that he had never said to us before that afternoon. He said, now, Mr. and Mrs. Keefe, I want you to remember something, and that is that life is more important than sight. I mean, both of us recoiled at those words because we knew very well what he was gently trying to prepare us for, but our hearts were very slow to accept that reality going to be honest with you. That summer was one where we were very intentional about making lots of wonderful memories. I remember feeling an almost frantic urgency to show Jesse everything. I wanted him to see the world around him. We took long walks down to a creek near our house where we overturned rocks so we could see the creepy crawlies underneath. We made multiple trips to the zoo that summer because somehow it was really important to this mom that her son knew what a monkey and a giraffe and an elephant looked like. We were gifted by friends um, a week in beautiful cabin up on Lake Superior that summer as well, and it was unforgettable. The kids played the days away, burying each other in the sugar sand, and we walked along the beach collecting beautiful rocks 
And I let them stay up way past their bedtimes every night to watch those beautiful 11 p.m. sunsets on Lake Superior. During that week at the beach, I remember Tim and I waking up early, long before the kids would wake up, and we would leave them in the cabin. Don't tell on us, but we did. They were sleeping. And we would go down and walk on the beach. And it was funny because he would walk this way and I would walk this way. And it wasn't that we didn't want to be together or we were having any marriage problems. It was just that we both needed time alone to process and talk to God. And I'll tell you, it was quiet on those beaches in the early morning and there was no one around. And as I walked, I talked to God and I talked to him out loud. And I put into words my fears and my anxiety and I'm going to be honest, even my anger at what seemed to be inevitable. Our son was going to lose his sight. And on those early mornings, as I honestly communed with my Heavenly Father, I knew somehow that he was listening. And he was listening without judgment or condemnation. And did you know that God listens to you? He can handle your anxiety. He can handle even your anger. He understands. And he listens without judgment or condemnation. And as he talked with me on those mornings, it wasn't an audible voice, but I listened. And his peace and assurance flooded my soul. And he filled me with hope for the future. That week was the calm before the storm in our lives. Jesse's vision continued to deteriorate as the tumors continued to grow over that summer. I remember crying on the day when after a very invasive treatment, he walked up to my sister and stared intently into her face and said, Are you my mommy? It was absolutely terrifying to Tim and I. We were watching his vision just slip away, and there was nothing. You know, as parents, we're supposed to be able to fix things that are going wrong with our children, and there was nothing we could do to stop this from happening. But it was on a Thursday afternoon. It was September 6 of 2001. Jesse was in for another checkup, and I remember the doctor coming out that afternoon and just telling us, I'm so sorry, but we're at the end of our treatment. This eye has to come out now. You must choose his life or his sight. I remember asking him, wait a minute, I didn't come here prepared to do this today. So can we please have the weekend? Uh, we need the weekend. We can't do it today. He agreed. And we scheduled the surgery for Monday and went home. Tim and I talked a lot that weekend. We wondered how in the world can we prepare this little guy for what's coming? I mean, he was smart. He was a smart, almost four-year-old little boy. It all felt so heavy and wrong. I mean, there was no parenting book ever written to prepare us to have this conversation with Jesse, to tell him what was coming. We tried, but it was pitiful. He jumped off the couch and said, I don't want to do that, and ran out the front door to play. And so we gave up and trusted the Lord and did a lot of praying. My mom and sister came that weekend to be with us. Tim went out and bought a beautiful six-week-old golden retriever that we could not afford for Jesse. Jesse hated the dog, by the way. The dog was for Tim and our other children, I think. And I took Jesse to Walmart to have his picture taken that weekend. On Monday morning, September 10th of 2001, we were surrounded by family and friends, lots and lots of them. That's the perks of having eight siblings. They all showed up and all the cousins, we were all there together as Jesse prepared to go back for his final surgery. I remember Tim and I both gowning up on that morning. Normally they would only allow one of us to go back with him until he was asleep, but the nurses had fixed all the rules, and when we walked in the doors that morning, they said, hey, we told the doctors you're both going back, and so we did. 
We held him in our arms until that bubblegum anesthesia closed his eyes. We had done this dozens and dozens and dozens of times before, but on this day it was very different. We knew that when he closed his eyes on this day, his world would remain forever dark. I remember looking up and to see the anesthesiologist, whom we knew very well by this time. As she placed the mask over his face, she had tears running down her face into her own mask. A few hours later, the nurses came and got us and told us that we could come back and see our son. They had him all tucked in with his favorite blanket and his little stuffed animal around him. And to be honest with you, Tim and I were both very glad that he was still sleeping because neither of us could hold back our tears. And honestly, I was not thinking about God's goodness in that moment. I wasn't thinking anything high or lofty or spiritual at all. I was thinking of the finality of what we had just allowed them to do. And I was thinking things like, how in the world are we going to raise a blind child? We knew nothing about blindness. How would he make it in life with this disability thrust upon him? Would he be the same fun-loving kid we had always known? But it was as we stood there that my dad walked into the room. And I remember dad just kind of slipping up behind us. And he kind of pushed us apart. And he put one arm around him and he put the other arm around me. And he squeezed us really tight. And this is what he said. He said, Tim and Becky, there is something that you need to remember right now in this moment. And you must never forget it. And that is that God is still good. And through his own tears, he said that over and over to us. God is still good. God is still good. God is still good. And you know, my dad was right. Tim and I, despite our bleeding hearts, made a conscious decision on that afternoon to believe the truth of those words. God was still good. It was his goodness that would carry us through this day. It was his goodness that had led us to this day and kept our faith and our family intact. And surely he would help us in the difficult days that were coming. And what I want to submit to each and every one of you this morning is that it is God's goodness that promises you and me that there is coming a day when he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more crying or death or depression or cancer or divorce or Alzheimer's or wayward children, or any other suffering that we face in this world. This world is not all there is for us. Thank God. I don't know what you're experiencing this morning or what your suffering looks like, but I want to encourage you to surround yourself with people who will speak the truth to you about who God is and that He is God and He is good. You can trust God in your difficulty this morning also because He is a God of truth. We live in a world of lies, don't we? But we serve a God of truth, and we have been given a precious gift in the Word of God. Every word in this book is true, and it is written for you and for me. And I found it to be an unbelievable source of strength on my toughest days. It is a great treasure. You know, there were days when I was contemplating Jesse's cancer and all that was happening, and it seemed to be a random tragedy when I would go to the Word for comfort. And Psalm 139 became one of my favorite passages. And I would read and reread those beautiful verses that say, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. 
Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before even one of them came to be. My heart was so calmed and comforted as I meditated on these words, and I understood clearly that God had not been absent or unaware of all those mutating cells in Jesse's body, that this cancer was not a senseless genetic disaster, but God had been there all the while standing by, ready to fortify us and strengthen our faith and provide for us as we walk through this valley. This knowledge was a great source of comfort to me. You know, God's truth always combats the lies of Satan. And you know, sometimes we need to remember, I think as Christians, we forget what Jesus himself said about Satan. Jesus said in John 8, 24, this is what he said about Satan. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I have discovered that I can take God's word to the bank, and I can use it as a skillful weapon to destroy the lies of the enemy in my life, and so can you. You know, Satan loves to come to us when we're in a tough place, doesn't he? That's where he shines. He comes to us in our suffering, and he says things like, God has forsaken you. Where is he? And sadly, sometimes we're tempted to believe him, but the word of God tells us that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even if your mother and father forsake you, I will take you up. That's what God's word says. Satan comes to us and says, you can't make it through another day. Sorry, this is too big. You're not going to make it through this one. When God's word says that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect, not in your strength and not in your good circumstances, but in your suffering and in your weakness. Satan says to us, you know, if God is so powerful, why didn't he, allow, why didn't he stop this from happening? Maybe God even caused your trouble. But you know what Jesus said in the word of God? He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. He told us that already, but he didn't leave us there. He said, take heart, for I have overcome the world. How encouraging is God's word to us when we are suffering? You can trust God in your suffering also because he is a God of compassion. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God of compassion? I'll just ask you this morning, how many of you women here have given birth to a child? Come on, raise your hand. We are sisters, right? We understand one another. You know, there's nothing better than getting together with a lot of your girlfriends and sharing your childbirth stories because we understand all the lingo and we know what it was like and we can understand and have compassion on one another. But I dare you to try to tell your childbirth story to a man, okay? Just do it. He'll be in a coma in three seconds max, okay? Not because they don't care or whatever, but they just can't fully understand what it's like. But we do not serve a God like that. We serve a God who fully understands everything that we have been through. You know, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. God is a compassionate God. You know, I remember the night after Jesse's surgery, his last surgery, my husband spent the night at the Ronald McDonald House next door, and I decided to stay in the room with Jesse and sleep in the chair beside his bed. He was still asleep and really hadn't awakened fully from the surgery. And um, so as I lay there trying to sleep next to him in the chair, it was somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning when I heard his raspy little voice calling out to me. And he said, um, Mommy, Mommy, I can't see. Mommy, it's dark. 
I climbed up into the bed with him and I took him in my arms and I tried to get him to go back to sleep because I wasn't ready for this conversation. But he wasn't having it. His three-year-old mind was buzzing with questions. He began to say things like, Mommy, how am I going to ride my bike if I can't see? And, and Mommy, how am I going to climb the stairs if I can't see? And, and I'm not going to be able to swing high on the swings anymore if I can't see. I remember laying there with him and trying to reassure him and reassure him that, Jesse, I promise you, Mom and Dad are going to find a way for you to ride your bike, and we're going to find a way for you to climb the stairs and do all the things you want to do. And then he asked me, Mommy, is this only going to be for four days? And my heart sank because one month previously, Jesse had had one final surgery where they had to patch his eye for four days. And so he had experienced four days of blindness. And he had been devastated and inconsolable during those four days. But at that time, we had been able to promise him, hey, Jesse, hang in there, buddy. In four days, we're going to take that patch off, and you're going to be able to see. And so on this night, he was begging me, Mommy, is this only going to be for four days? And I also remembered that first night of his blindness, him saying to me, I was sad. I was trying my best to be strong, and I was trying not to cry because I didn't want him to know that I was crying. But, you know, kids are way smarter than we are. And he said to me, Mommy, are you sad? I said, Jesse, you know what? I'm sad because you're sad, and I'm sad because you had to have this surgery. And then he paused for a minute, and he said, Mommy, is Jesus crying? And I, he stopped my heart almost for a moment. But then I answered him, and I said, you know what, Jesse? Yes. I believe that Jesus is crying with us tonight. You might say, how in the world could you say that? Well, I remember the story of Mary and Martha when their brother died and Jesus wept with them. And as I said, Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a priest who is unable to sympathize with us. You know what that actually means? I kind of did some study on that verse. One commentator says, that verse means that he counts our miseries as his own. Think about that this morning. The God of the universe, the one who created everything that, he, that is and that exists, is counting your miseries this morning, whatever they may be, as his own. Wow. And so on that night, as I held my young son in my arms, and as we grieved together over what he had lost, I somehow felt the participating presence of my Heavenly Father. It was as if he was entering into that sorrow with us. And with his presence, we felt his comfort and his peace. Lastly, I want to assure you that you can trust God in your difficulty and your suffering because he is a God who delivers. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You know, we came home from the hospital after that last surgery and started trying to live life normally with a new little four-year-old blind child in the home. Uh, we had a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old as well at that time. And I remember I didn't realize how messy we were until we brought Jesse home from the hospital blind because it seemed like every time I turned around, he was tripping and falling over somebody's shoes or somebody's toys or a box that somebody had left out in the middle of the floor. And so I remember sitting the other kids down one day. I said, okay, that's it, guys. The next person that leaves their shoes or their clothes or toys out and Jesse trips over them, that person gets blindfolded for an hour. 
don't worry, they've all gone to counseling and they're fine now. But, <laughs> but it wasn't very much longer after that that Jesse tripped over his own shoes that he had left lying in the hallway. And I, I tried to scold him a little bit, and he said, well, Mommy, you can't blindfold me. I'm already blindfolded. I said, well, Betty, you got a point there. But it was about two weeks after he lost his vision that he, he began to withdraw and to become very, very angry. His personality began to change. Jesse had always been so happy. I mean, the nurses and doctors were always amazed with Jesse because he was, didn't matter what he was going through or what kind of treatment he was getting. He was just always up for playing, and he was happy. But about two weeks after, his personality began to change. And boy, did he become an angry little boy. He would not play with his siblings. He would not participate. He was very angry. And he started to ask us these questions multiple times a day. He would ask me. He would say, Mommy, am I going to be able to see again on my birthday? And I would have to tell him the truth. And He would say, well, what about at Christmas time? Am I going to be able to see at Christmas time? Well, when we go back to the Philippines, am I going to be able to see then? Well, can my brother Timothy see? Well, how come he can see? It's not fair. And at the end of these question and answer times, he would be just full of bitterness and just crying and throwing tantrums on the floor. And Tim and I tried everything. I mean, we talked to him about heaven. We talked to him about just we tried everything in the world to comfort and console him, but we were helpless. We did not know what to do about this situation. He ended up back in the hospital with a post-surgical infection. And one afternoon, we were pulling him around in his little red wagon with his IV pole hooked up to it, right in the middle of the hallway with all the nurses stationed right there and other patients. And all of a sudden, he decided it was a good time to start asking the questions again. And he began there in the hallway, Mommy, am I going to be able to see again on my birthday? Well, well, what about Christmas time? And, and he just kept going with these questions. And at the end, he was literally a pitiful bundle of anger wailing over and over again, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. You know, we were done. Completely done. And I remember, you know, Letty Kalman, a famous missionary, once said, desperate times call for desperate prayer. And so in the middle of the hallway on that afternoon, we were desperate. I remember Tim laying his hands on Jesse's head, and I began to cry out to God, and my prayer went something like this. Heavenly Father, we know that you are good and we know that you are sovereign and we accept your will. We even accept our son's blindness, but God, we do not accept this. We do not believe that bitterness and anger is your plan for our son. So we are asking you in Jesus' name, would you heal his heart? We went back to our room. The very next day, I took him down to the hospital playroom and he was playing with a, another little cancer patient in there. And it was they, had been, they were having a good day. Jesse was having a good day, and they were playing with Legos. And all of a sudden, this little, other little boy looked at me and said, can he see? And I thought, oh, don't open that can of worms. We don't want to talk about that right now. But before I could say a word, Jesse piped up and said, nope, and I'm never going to see again. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to see I didn't say a word. It was a couple minutes later. He turned to me and said, Mommy, it's okay if I can't see. Ten minutes later when his dad walked into the room, first words out of his mouth, Daddy, it's okay if I can't see. And I'm telling you the truth. 
when I say that from that day until today, he has never wasted another moment of sorrow on his blindness because God healed his heart. We serve a God of deliverance. You know, I was overwhelmed on that afternoon. And it still overwhelms me every time I tell this story to think and to know that God is a God of deliverance and healing power. But you know what? Uh, my friends this morning, sometimes this power is especially seen in the situations when our circumstances are not fixed, but when God fixes us. You know, God did not heal my son's eyes. He did not prevent him from going blind, but he healed his heart. Sometimes God wants to change our focus from anger or even sad resignation to true acceptance and joy and anticipation for the future, even when that future might include something that we might have thought, I could never be happy if this happened to me. That is the kind of deliverance sometimes and the most powerful deliverance that God can give us. God does make a way out for us, and that way out for our family was him filling Jesse's heart with acceptance and peace. Four months later, when we returned to the Philippines, we, we went back to the Philippines four months after Jesse lost his vision to resume our missionary work. And I knew shortly after that he was going to be okay. We were able to, um, we were able to hire a, a Filipino lady who was trained to teach the blind. Her dad had been blind. Her uncles had been blind. They had a genetic situation in their family, and so she was very comfortable, so she went to school. And uh, so we would take Jesse to her. Uh, I would take him to her a couple of times a week, and she taught him everything, Braille, everything he needed to know. He had a private tutor for the next six years, eight years. But one day, she, she was very open about blindness. She didn't feel sorry for him. She didn't pity him, which was wonderful, you know. She was also crippled from polio, so she was comfortable with uh, being a handicapped person. And I picked him up from school one day, and uh, we were in the car riding home, and he goes, Mommy, am I handicapped? And I was like, what, what? what? We had never used that word. I had an aversion to that word, and I didn't want him to be traumatized by that word. And I said, what, where did you hear that? He said, well, Ati Mai told me today that I'm handicapped. I said, oh, thank you. Thank you, teacher. But um, so I went on to this long monologue of, what it means to be handicapped versus inconvenience. And I said, you know, Jesse, you do almost everything for yourself, so your blindness is more of an inconvenience to you than anything. But I said, but be prepared. Some people will always call you handicapped. He sighed real big and went, oh, does that mean I'm going to have to park my car in one of those handicapped parking places when I grow up? <laughs> that was all he cared about. <laughs> so I decided to save the you're never going to drive conversation for another day which wasn't true anyway, because you haven't lived until you've looked out your front window and seen your 14-year-old pulling, blind 14-year-old backing your van out of the driveway. True story, but no one got hurt, so it's all good. Blindness is no walk in the park. It's not what we would have chosen for our son, and you asked Jesse, he wouldn't choose it either if he could choose it over. He's 26 years old, he's very independent, but just the other day, his Uber driver dropped him off at the wrong place and he wandered around for blocks. <laughs> Before he finally FaceTimed me and said, I have no idea where I am. So it's not fun all the time. And I'm sure you wouldn't have chosen your particular pain or problem that you're dealing with today either. So I'm not making light at all of our suffering or trying to minimize anybody's suffering this morning. But God is good. I will tell you that. And I feel no pity for my son this morning. I really don't. 
I know that God is wise and sovereign, and he has a beautiful and custom-made plan for his life, just as he does for yours today. I so identify with the verse of Scripture in Isaiah that promises us, and I will give you treasures of darkness and riches in hidden places. You know, we have experienced so many of these treasures and riches in places that we never expected to find them. Like watching Jesse. He did learn to ride a bike. He got a few bumps and bruises, but he rode a bike. He swung high on the swings. He did so many things. And I watched him when he was 12 years old learn how to water ski, and he beat all of his other boy cousins that were sighted. He stayed up the longest. He stayed up a long time, actually. They had fun, and he just quit. That was a beautiful gift from the Lord. I saw that same little boy who was worried about climbing stairs later hike the rainforest in the Philippines with his dad, going to remote places all through those mountains and enjoying every moment of it. And just a couple years ago, he ran his first half marathon. Any runners out there? I don't know anything about it, but he ran a half marathon in 138. So, hey, he was doing pretty good. We never dreamed while watching him lose the ability to see creation with human eyes that he had gained the gift of interpreting God's beauty and goodness through playing the piano and singing. We watched him graduate high school and then college with honors. It was breathtaking and only a result of God's grace and goodness. To God be the glory this morning. These and so many other stories have been graciously given to us as gifts from an awesome and wonderful God who can take the most bitter thing in our lives and somehow bring from it the sweetest of blessings. That's a miracle, friends. And that's what he wants to do for you this morning. Because I know that there are hurting hearts here. And you need to catch a new glimpse of your suffering in the light of eternity. You know, shortly after Jesse lost his sight, I think it was, uh, it was in the first 10 to 15 days probably, first couple of weeks, we went to church on a Sunday night. And you know, we had been attending this little church for the last 16 months of his treatment because we were staying in a house that belonged to my sister and brother-in-law who were missionaries in Ukraine at the time. And this little church was just a mile down the road. It was a wonderful congregation of people. Godly pastor. It was a small church, probably 75 people. But did they ever love on our family during those 16 months? I mean, they prayed with us. They fasted with us for Jesse's healing. They babysat our children while we were at the hospital. They brought food. They furnished a house for us. They were just our family in the Lord during that time. And so we went back to that church on a Sunday night. And of course, Jesse was still all bandaged up. And I mean, these people, everybody was trying to smile and greet us and greet Jesse. But I could see people wiping tears, and there was kind of a morose feeling that night because everybody had prayed. They didn't want him to lose his sight. And we had all prayed for that, and here he was, and everybody was feeling kind of sad. I remember us sitting down here on the left side of the church up in the second row, and they chose that song on that Sunday night, When We All Get to Heaven, What a Day of Rejoicing That Will Be. And for some reason, Jesse decided he wanted to really, really, really sing that night. So he stood up on the seat, clapped his hands, sang at the top of his lungs, and this was before he could sing on tune. He made an enormous scene that Sunday evening. And you have to understand, this was not a Pentecostal church. This was a group of very quiet, sedate worshipers, okay? They were not the clapping, you know, dancing kind of church. And our son was over here asking like, acting like a raging Pentecostal on the second seat. But I didn't have the heart to make him stop because he was having such a good time. And so I remember the pastor getting up, a very dignified man, and he said, folks, 
As you can all see, Jesse's over here worshiping very well tonight. He said, and if he can do that, we are going to stand up and we are going to clap and we are going to worship like him. And I'm telling you what, they stood up and there was so much joy in that room while we sang that song. And it wasn't because there was a cute little kid over here making a scene, but it was because for a few minutes, every single one of us took our eyes off of what seemed to be a terrible tragedy and we lifted it to what was coming. And the reality of heaven, this world is not the end for us. Dr. Dennis Kinlaw, in his book, if you've never read it, it's a beautiful devotional called This Day with the Master. He said something that was so profound as I read it. He said, the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation contain no reference to evil or to the devil. You ever think about that? Satan does not appear at the beginning, and he will not appear at the end. The ultimate reality for you and me this morning is that the beginning and the end of all things is not evil. Goodness and beauty fill the beginning, and goodness and beauty will also fill the end because of the presence of a faithful God. I'm so thankful for the faithfulness of God this morning. I don't know what you're facing, but maybe we should think about that as we close this service. I would like for you to stand with me. Maybe someone here this morning, you just need to open your hands and you just need to give that thing to God that is burdening your heart this morning and focus on how good He is, how good He has been, and how good He will be in the future as you walk through the valley that maybe you're walking through this morning.